There is no other name as powerful as the name of Jesus. Amen? His glory reigns. His kingdom reigns. And it's wonderful and it's true to use the expression of kingdom and power and reigning. But in a season like Advent and thinking back to the Israelites and in their anticipation for their Savior, they thought of kingdom and power and reigning. And Christ came in a very different manner than what they anticipated and expected. And yes, his kingdom came and his power came and he did and he does reign. But it came in the form of a baby. It came in the form of a quiet night full of joy full of peace and circumstances looked different than what was anticipated and Christmas may be that for you where circumstances look different than what is anticipated and whatever situation that you may be going home to in a couple of weeks and if it is a difficult one and one that you hoped would look different um, and you're just kind of uncertain of what it may look like can I tell you that the hope of Jesus and his kingdom and his power his glory can reign in your situation in the stillness of each night as you think and ponder and pray and spend time with him. I pray his hope and I pray his peace and I pray his love and his joy into your life. You may take a seat. Every year at the beginning of our semester, we have had a tradition where we invite our president to come and preach the very first chapel. And you may be aware uh, that that was the plan, but uh, because of certain circumstances, Dave was unable to make it that Monday morning. And so Kim and I uh, filled in and Kim did a great job. And uh, we then rebooked Dave to speak at another time where there was, um, unfortunately, someone couldn't make it who was scheduled to speak. So Dave was going to, but then that didn't work as well. And then we had him scheduled a third time. And then it rained really hard three weeks ago. And so we canceled classes. And so Dave wasn't able to speak that Monday morning either. Uh, and so we have scheduled him to speak for Advent, but we've all been like crossing our fingers of like, is this actually going to happen or not? And then the whole bridge situation, we weren't sure if classes were going to be on and the snow. But anyways, we're finally here and we finally get to hear from our president. So can you give it up for Dave Demchuk? Thanks, Kev. You guys, I was prepared to do a rope swing across the bridge if that's what it took to get here today. That would have been fun. Uh, the person who would have mocked me with great mocking as she entertainingly watched me would have been Diane. Can you really do that? <laughs> I love this season, and it's great to be here. And yeah, like Gavin said, it was we were all just going, okay, is this really going to happen or not? You know, I'm, I've spoken a lot of other places or a number of other places this year, but it just wasn't working for us here. And of course, the first, the first uh, chapel was sort of my fault because I had obviously been, you know, caught something, been up late and caught a bit of a bug. And of course, all of our concerns, at least in our family, my son texts me, Dad, have you got the vid? And I said, no, I think I'm okay. And, uh, but, but it precluded being at school for a couple of days anyways. But I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here with everybody. Uh, and just to share an Advent message, you know, Christmas, as I was growing up and, and in my life, is one of the most exciting times of the year um, as a Christian, as a pastor, as a one who loves Jesus. You can't miss God's sense of humor. 
in a world that prides itself in being so profoundly contemporary and so profoundly anti-God, that once a year, they sing a 600-year-old Christmas carol. And people far from Jesus sing the words, Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. I love it. It feels like the fulfillment of Philippians chapter 2, where every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. They're doing it. That's so cool. Well, it's been an interesting season for us this semester. Uh, As Gavin alluded to, we've had floods, we've had mudslides, we've had bridge stuff, we've had snow, and and we've had a power outage. First, they had to lower the lines, then they lowered some trees, then they raised the lines, left the trees in the creek, and they're still there. But uh, all that to say, we're here. And, and, And the exciting thing, I think, about a challenging I won't say a challenging semester because it's been a great semester, but a challenging world out there is that is precisely when the message of Jesus coming shines most brightly, right? If you've ever been in a dark room, um, when someone turns on the lights, that's the most profound impact. If you are in, you know, in a bright, sunny day and someone turns their car headlights on, you don't notice it but you notice the light when it's offset against the darkness. And that's what Advent is a celebration of, the coming of the light, the coming of Jesus. It's a season of waiting. It's a season of reflecting. Um, but, but it's a season of great hope. And what's so exciting is we live on the other side of that, right? We're not waiting for Jesus to come. We're celebrating that he did come. And we're celebrating the good things that he has done. You know, when I was, we were, Diane and I were both out, we were driving home, one of the uh, sort of atmospheric river days. Um, and, and you know, I, I found myself in the car looking towards the west, and I could see this band of blue sky. Uh, and it was making its way our way. It took its sweet time, but it made its way our way. And as I looked at the sky, I felt this hope and this encouragement come to my heart, because in the dark and dismal moments of the stuff, you know, the dark days, the flooding. Um, it doesn't buoy our spirits, but when you see the, the stretch of blue sky, when you see the sun, it, it buoys our hope. And as we look at the Old Testament prophecies that point to the coming of Jesus, one of my favorite ones is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, uh, because it's a passage that is set in a frame of darkness. And there's this beautiful light that's set in Isaiah. And maybe a little bit of background, if I can, uh, just to talk a little bit about it this morning. Um, Isaiah 7, 8, 9 are oracles written to Israel in the darkest time of their history. In a time where the nation was being overrun by the Assyrians. In a time where a nation that had chosen not to follow God's loving ways and follow his laws, a nation that was falling apart with abuse and corruption. The king at the time, Ahaz, had formed alliances with Assyria, and Israel was becoming something of a slave nation. They had no rights. They had no privileges. They owed huge tribute. There was a famine. It was just an awful time. You know, we hear people talk today about our supply chain issues and gas rationing, and and compared to what Israel went through, I'm not under, you know, under valuing the the scenario we're in today, 
But compared to what Israel was going through, it felt like a first world issue. It was a dismal time. And in the midst of that time, uh, God gives an oracle of hope. Because remember, God is always sovereign. God was sovereign over Israel. He released them to the outcome of their behavior. But yet in the midst of God's judgment comes this word of hope. And uh, we always need to remind ourselves as we read this passage that the world we find ourselves in today, although sometimes when you look outside uh, of our environment, of our, you know, of, of our families, of our scenario, it, it feels a little hopeless uh, and it feels a little despondent for sure. Um, but yet God is sovereign. We can never miss that. God is sovereign over floods. He's sovereign over bridges. He's sovereign over trees. He's sovereign over staff members who never come to work and all those sorts of things, right? But, but this passage is an amazing illustration of God, Jerry, amazing illustration of God's character. Um, in the midst of a, t- of a time when it couldn't get any worse, uh, there comes this message of hope and redemption. So let's hear what Isaiah said. Starts off, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. By the way, uh, those two areas of Israel were the most fruitful. It's sort of like our, our equivalent of the Okanagan Valley a bit. And that would have been prime land that the Assyrians would have wanted to take over. But Zebulun and Naphtali uh, were also the lands that Jesus grew up in. Right? So, so the, the prophecy is about someone's coming to your country, someone's coming to your home, um, and in the latter times, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's, uh, I, I've got that word uh, underscored and bolded because of uh, what a contrast to the darkness, the light that is coming through Christ. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. What a promise, but a promise in the midst of despondency. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They're glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff before his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. Of course, a reference to Gideon and and the defeat of the Midianites in Judges 7 and 8. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Really quickly, some some things that speak to me in this passage as I reflect on it. First is the amazing thing that God makes promises in darkness. God makes promises in darkness difficult times. And God's message to Israel through Isaiah um, was the area that was most unlikely to serve 
and worship God faithfully was the area that was going to be honored by God's presence. The most anti-God, the most pagan oppressive area would be the unlikely scene for future blessing for the nation. Isn't that amazing what God does? Uh, we, we often look at areas and we say, oh, that's too dark. We don't want to go there. That's, that's an area that's ugly. That's terrible. We don't want to go there. But, but it's in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the spiritual depravity that God promises to pour out a blessing for the nation. And the darkness, it was so overwhelming. Even the point of death is going to see a new day dawn, the light of God. And I love the language of light because it speaks of the creative, delivering power of God. We remember when God said, let there be light, there was light. In darkness. It's about freedom. It's about deliverance. So here we have people who are living their lives without giving God a moment's thought, without a conscious presence of him in their midst. They're going to be overwhelmed by him, by light. I remember uh, an experience I had. I, I was preaching at Adora in Victoria many years ago. And uh, so I'm, I'm preaching at this service on a Sunday night. I did two Sunday mornings, and, and Diane was there. And, and I stand up to preach, and, you know, all the lights are out, and they turn the lights on. What I forgot to tell them is I'm very light-sensitive, meaning I get migraines if there's bright lights. So I stand up to speak, I open up my computer, and all of a sudden these two aircraft landing lights just assail me. Uh, and yeah, it, it wasn't a pleasant experience. I spent most of my time preaching. They must have thought I was profoundly insecure because I was preaching looking down. But, but the point was the lights were so bright and so contrasting of the darkness, and they, they were overwhelming. That's about what Isaiah is talking about when he talks about the light of the coming of the Messiah. Not that they've done anything worth being rewarded for, but that God pours out his love and his grace to those who least deserve it. This Christmas, you might run into people who you think, I don't know how they're going to come into the kingdom. I don't know how God's going to impact them. Just be reminded of this, that you might be the light in that person's life, but that light is bright, and the presence and power of Christ will shine through you in every situation. And so Isaiah sees their sorrow turn to joy, the slavery, the yoke, the suffering that they endure, uh, the external, the internal stuff is going to be lifted. He promises for the release of oppression. You might say, if you were living in Israel in those days, I could live in a world like that. I could live in a world where there is freedom, where there is joy, where there is justice. And all of these characteristics of a renewed future, as you look in Isaiah chapter 9, are centered in the birth of a child. And I love the language of Isaiah. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Although they appear like parallel expressions, let me say that maybe they're not. Maybe they speak to the incarnation of Jesus. Yes, he was a little child who was born in Bethlehem. Uh, but more than that, he was a child who was given by God, who had profound destiny for the plans and purposes of God. And as servants of Christ, his destiny is our destiny. 
lives are bound up with his destiny and his purposes. As Gavin said, Israel looked for overthrowing military might. That wasn't God's plan. That was, God's plan was to bring redemption and transformation in the lives of men and women. Out of despair, out of anxiety, comes this wonderful message of hope and a future. It's rooted in the birth of this little child. And Isaiah also reminds us that this child is the one whose character meets the depth of human need. In the Hebrew language, names were important. People just didn't pull them out of a hat. They spoke to an individual's character. And so this promised child is going to be called four things. We might want to say he will be recognized in four ways. This child is going to be a wonderful counselor. I tease Dr. Dealey. Are you here, Dr. Dealey? She was on a phone call, so she might still be on the call. We always tease her and call her our wonderful counselor, because she is. She's a wonderful counselor. But, but Jesus, as a wonderful counselor, isn't that kind of a counselor. Uh, Isaiah would have, uh, would have thought of and spoken of those who give counsel to kings, the wise advisors, the one who can be trusted to act for the good of others, the one, Gavin, who has both wisdom and knowledge and would, would deliver that and would act on that. And his capacity for us doesn't come from anything short of the supernatural wisdom of God. His leadership, Jesus' leadership in our lives are going to, in the life of the world, that's the message of the gospel, um, will meet the deepest and most profound needs of humanity because it's based on the wisdom of God. It's based on the plans and the purposes of God. For Israel, as a nation that was chafing under the oppression of the Assyrian Empire, dealing with kings who used power to their advantage, for whom human life was, was of no value, Jesus is the one who has all power to deal with tyranny and hardship. And Jesus will stand for his people when no one will stand with or for them. He will fight for justice on their behalf. In a world where people cry out unfair, unjust, it's only Jesus that has the power to right the wrongs and care for the abused and the hurting. You know why? Because it's only the power of Jesus that brings healing and transformation to people's lives. He will be the one who brings justice. His relationship with his people will be that of an everlasting father. Jesus will manifest the heart and care that we see in an ideal father. I get that we live in a world that not every father is an ideal father. But even in their weakness, even in their sin, even in their, in their uh, failings, don't they remind us and bring into our own hearts what the desire for an ideal father looks like? That's exactly what Jesus is to us. He's called us in, into a trusting relationship with him. It's an enduring relationship. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never decide that there are some nicer-looking folk on the other side of the fence that he wants to be a better father to. He will be forever our father. He will be permanent 
and our relationship will be secure in his presence. And you know what's ironic? Not only for Israel, but for us in the moment of our deepest rebellion, in those times when we feel least like we want to follow and serve him, it's in those times that he desires and shows us his ideal fatherhood, shows us to be a loving, forgiving father who cares for us and calls us to himself. It's in moments of difficulty when we run a run from God that God runs to us, that God comes to us. There's nothing that we can do that will somehow discourage God about taking an interest in us. As a matter of fact, sometimes the deeper we, we run and the farther we run from him, the more he chases us down. So the message of the Christmas season is, if you're running from the, run, the one that you should be running to, you just need to turn around and discover he's right there beside you. Wonderful Father. And he's the Prince of Peace. His rule will not be self-serving. We have a lot of people, and, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist for us to see that their motivations are pretty self-serving. Um, but not Jesus. Jesus came for us. He came for the world to experience his peace, his well-being. Lack of want. And that peace can be ours. I know. Towards the end of a semester, peace is the last thing that you experience, isn't it? A little bit of chaos, you know. I mean, some of you have discovered at least temporary peace in, in, in extensions, but, but that's just temporary because you still got to do the paper. You still got to do the work, right? It's that season. But, but friends, um, something deeper in your hearts besides just the circumstances you find yourself in, um, is that peace that Christ brings, that centeredness, that self-assurance. So what's this kingdom look like? What does this new king's kingdom look like? Well, it's not a worldly kingdom. It's a kingdom that begins with a transformation of hearts, yours, mine. We're reminded of that. Um, we're reminded that his reign in Isaiah will be ever-increasing. Even though it looks like the world is becoming less and less tolerant of Christ and Christians, Isaiah said, no, that's not. Don't be fooled on what you see on the outside because Christ's reign is ever-increasing. His reign is based on the fulfillment of all God's promises. It'll be a reign characterized by justice and righteousness, both in our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. It'll be a reign without end. So it's Christmas. Reflect on the fact that though you might feel you've been through a season of difficulty, maybe some of you a season of darkness. Maybe you struggle with hope. Maybe you struggle with a sense of despair. Maybe some of you have come through abusive relationships and abusive situations. Jesus, this Christmas, wants to be light in your darkness. He wants to be hope and destiny for your despair. It wants to be love and security where maybe you felt abuse where you felt treated unfairly. He wants to be righteousness and justice. 
in the confusion of the world we live in, friends. This is a wonderful message of Advent. Don't forget to lean into the one who is God's promise for each of you. And don't forget when you leave this place that we are ambassadors of that good news. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the message of Christmas. And it's out of that message that we sang this morning, Come Let Us Adore You, Christ the Lord. Let's stand. Jesus, I thank you for this season that we find ourselves in for the wonderful message of hope that your coming brings to our hearts. I thank you that in the midst of darkness, your light has dawned. So I pray for our students. I pray that today and in the days ahead of them, they will be more conscious of the light of your love and your life that dawns in their own hearts. Lord, that you would strengthen them. They would be, be near to them. May your presence sustain them, I pray, Lord. May your spirit draw them, speak deeply to their hearts. And, and as we leave the hill for our Christmas break, I pray, Lord, that you would make each of us an agent and ambassador of your love and of your grace and of your kingdom. Lord, we can't touch the entire world, but we can touch the little pieces of the world that we find ourselves in to bring your peace and your grace to friends and to family and to those we encounter in the days ahead. So be with us, inspire us, fill us, Lord, with your presence. Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of the semester. Enjoy lunch.